Well, good morning. Glad you're with us this morning. There is a great privilege to give a gift in the name of Jesus, and really a gift in the name of Jesus is never a small gift. And so CFC has been super generous in past years with Operation Christmas Child. Hope we will be again this year. If you have a copy of the scriptures with you, let me invite you to take it out if it's a hard copy or a, on a mobile device. I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 14, the Gospel of Mark chapter 14, as we are looking at the life of Jesus in his final week. Today in Mark 14, we're going to see Jesus at the Passover meal. And it is a meal that it's intended to be remembered. Uh, I wonder, do you have a meal that you look back on your life that you go, I'll never forget that meal? Maybe it was because what you ate, like when my mother fed me cow's tongue. You read cow's tongue? It's not a pleasant experience. Taste bud on taste bud, not that great, but it was in the days where parenting, the, the model of parenting was you eat everything, and so I had, thankfully, not the whole cow's tongue, because a cow's tongue is actually quite long, but I had to eat my portion of it. I'll never forget that. Thankfully, the Passover meal is not cow's tongue. That would probably change the experience in it. But as we look at Mark 14, uh, let me answer, first of all, the most basic question. What is the Passover meal that we're going to see Jesus engage in today? If that's new to you, it's the annual meal that commemorates God's deliverance of the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. So Jewish people celebrate Passover. And it's a hearkening back to when they had been slaves in Egypt and God set them free. You might equate it to, as an American, to July 4th, to our day of independence. The, the major difference between what you do on July 4th and what they do on Passover is you get to choose what you want to eat. They don't. The meal is prescribed for every Jew who is celebrating Passover. There are elements that everybody takes, but it's a remembering of what God had done on their behalf. So Jesus is celebrating this with his disciples. Happens every year. As we look at this encounter in Mark 14, we're going to see three parts to this passage. We're going to see the preparation that happens for them to take the Passover. We're going to see the prediction that Jesus makes during the Passover meal. And then we're going to see the person within the Passover meal. So Mark chapter 14, verse 12 is where the preparation begins. It says, on the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now I want you to pause right there in the passage because that might seem like an insignificant verse, but it demonstrates for us a great example of how a Christ follower deals with the word of God. Because I want you to go back and look at verse 12. What was the question they asked Jesus? Where? Notice they did not ask, do you want us to? Or do you want to? 
Now, let me ask might seem an obvious question, but don't miss this. Why did they not ask Jesus, do you want to or do you want us to? Because that question had already been answered. And if there is a problem or a pattern that many of us have gotten into, it's taking what God has clearly declared in the scripture, but put question marks behind it instead of periods. What I want us to see is what the disciples did is they ask God for direction, but they ask Jesus where in fulfilling what he had already revealed. They were not asking him, do you want us to do something he had already said very clearly, I want you to do. Now, are you tracking with me? Because this is an example that I want to encourage us to walk in, to not put question marks where the scriptures put periods. We need to put them at the right spot. So, give you a couple examples, not regarding Passover. When it comes to serving in the church, is that a question mark or a period? Sure about that? Yeah, absolutely, serve is a period. What's the question? Okay, where? Just like I said, we're supposed to, where? You're, you're agreeing. You are to serve. The question is not should you, it's where? Okay, now you know that. You answered that. Is that happening? Or have you replaced? You've been sitting at the chapel going, oh, I've been asking the Lord where. Uh, let me set you free from that. You don't need to ask him any, or, uh, should you. You don't need to ask him should you anymore. He's already answered that question. All right? Your question would be, where? Where do you want me to? And it begins by saying, let me see a need, and I will begin to meet the need, and as I begin to serve, I will be asking the question, where? So it's a very subtle but significant example that the disciples set. Too many, quite frankly, at Christian Family Chapel have put a serve question mark instead of serve period and then the where. So if that's you, let me encourage you. Serve and then ask where. How about give? Question period. Yeah, clearly if you were here for our, our series on Jesus encountering givers, uh, the New Testament says Every believer is to give. The question that we ask him is, how much? Because as much as we may have thought, the New Testament does not actually give the answer to how much in terms of an amount or a percentage. What the answer to that is, as God has prospered you and you purpose in your heart to be generous. So, if you're not giving, if you've put the question mark there, put the period there, the disciples said, we know we're supposed to celebrate Passover. That's not the question we're going to. The question is where? We know we're supposed to give. We're not going to put the question mark there. The question is how much? You're, you're tracking with me? 
Now, some of you are going, jeez, you're killing me with verse 12 here. I'm not trying to kill you. and simply saying, this is the model of a disciple of Jesus. They know where the question mark goes and where the period goes. A, a, a big challenge for you is the question of make disciples. But it's not a question. It's a statement. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. And so the question isn't, should you be making a disciple? The question is, who? Because every single person here this morning who is a follower of Jesus, now again, these are specific applications for followers of Jesus because we're following what the, a few of the 12 disciples did here. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's make disciples. The question is, who? Who is not as far along in their spiritual journey as you are, that you are intentionally investing in them, building into them, helping them understand who God is, what he's like, and what it means to walk with him. Anybody that you have specifically said, this is who I am discipling. Because make disciples is period question mark who all right um i quickly learned in doing this message that that's probably enough application we could probably be done for the day quite frankly but the passage that's just one verse in the passage but don't don't run past what we just saw right there it's the question was where because it was in fulfilling of the already revealed will. When we get it right, then we get to experience what the disciples experience because they ask, not if, they ask where, and Jesus says, and he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Well, follow him. So spot the guy and then follow him. And whenever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, where's my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Can you imagine doing this? This is quite the scenario. And verse 15, and he himself will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Prepare for us there. So the beauty of this is Jesus demonstrates here, if my disciples will simply ask in fulfillment of what I've already revealed, I'll go before them. I'll answer them. And the disciples have this joyful for the rest of their life story to be able to say, verse 16, the disciples went out and came to the city and found it, say it with me, just as he had told them. That's a great story for the rest of your life. Now listen, it's reserved for those who have not taken what Jesus said, period, and put a question mark to. It's the, it's the privilege for those who go, I'm to make a disciple, Lord, who? And, and then I experience his sufficiency. Uh, the question is not, should I give? I'm giving, Lord, just how much? I want to be generous as you've prospered me and I purpose in my heart. I, I, I'm going to serve, Lord. And as I serve, I want you to lead me. Where? And the demonstration of this passage in preparation is when we ask the right questions, we experience that we can absolutely believe that God will give us all we need to do all he said. 
He will. He promises he will give us all we need to do all he said. Do you have any stories like those two had? We ask and we found it just as it. I promise if you will serve, you'll discover his sufficiency. If you'll give and invite him how much, you'll experience his sufficiency. Any story? If you will make disciples and you'll feel like, because every person who you say, well, you make disciples, oh, I feel so inadequate. Welcome to the room. Everybody feels that. But it's those who say, I'm going to do what Jesus said that then experience the privilege. Anybody you're discipling, let's get it right as we see the disciples get it right for the preparation for the Passover. So they go out, they prepare it. Now they take and they share in it. Verse 17 of Mark 14. Back to the text, verse 17. It says, when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be grieved and say to him one by one, Can you imagine? Surely not I. Surely not I. Surely not I. Surely not I. Around the table. Surely not I. But Jesus says, It is one of the twelve. One who dips with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man is to go just as written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. That's some pretty strong language, isn't it? So, Jesus at this Passover meal makes an unforgettable prediction. And it's a prediction, as we just read, of betrayal. Now, you may know the story, and so you already know who the betrayal is. But if not, go back to verse 10 in Mark 14. If you go back up to verse 10, we we find out before the preparations were made that it says this, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priest in order to do what? betray him to them. So this is a betrayal by Judas. But what I want us to understand about this, it's a betrayal that is not an isolated, weak moment. In other words, this didn't just come out of nowhere. If we take enough time to look at Judas in the text of the Gospels, what we discover about him is long before he betrays Jesus, he is a habitual thief. We saw that last week. The language was he was pilfering from the money box. So he is a habitual thief and a convincing liar. Now, why do I think he's a convincing liar? They're going around the table. One of you is going to betray me. And they go, surely not I. Surely not I. Surely not I. And Judas says what? Surely not I. And nobody goes, ah, he's the liar. Look, I saw how he looked out of the corner of his eye up to the left side. He was a convincing liar. You understand? Lying takes practice to be good at it. Any of you ever play the game Avalon? 
Actually, actually, quite a fun game introduced to me by my son-in-law, where each game, everybody takes a card and you kind of play a role. Two of the people are, this is not their name, but their net effect is they are the liars in the game. And since I've played some games like this before, when he explained it, I was like, oh, I don't want to be the liar. Because it was much easier to not be the liar. But then that game, and I was like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, I'm the liar. I was like, oh, everybody knows already. Now, they couldn't know, but I felt like my face was giving away. It was like written across my forehead. And, and, uh, and then I tried to act normal and talk normally and engage normally, but we weren't hardly into the game at all. And they're like, it's dad. <laughs> I was like, really? I'm that bad? And they're like, you're really that bad. And I thought, I could feel it. I was so awkward. But then we played a few more games, and you know what? You get better at it, <laughs> which is a little frightening. But I'm telling you, Judas didn't just become a convincing liar the very first time. If you're pilfering from the money box, you're perfecting the art of lying in the process. So he says, surely not I. And nobody catches it. Because he'd been lying a long time. So this is not an isolated, weak moment. My point in telling you all of this is, maybe you've heard this expression about sin in the past. I've heard this lots of times over the years. But it's not just a theory. It's not just an idea. This is straight out of the life of Judas, the betrayer. And that is this expression, that sin will take you further than you thought you would go. Do, do you know what I mean by that? When you tell your first lie, you never think, well, that's going to lead to betraying Jesus. When you steal your first dollar, you never really think, where that's going to lead. Sin will take you further than you thought you'd go. You know the expre next expression? It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Liars become habitual liars. Thieves become habitual thieves. You understand what's happening here? Nobody plans. I shouldn't say that. Very few people who end up in adultery plan to end up there. It begins with what is excused as a harmless look or even a harmless thought. Very few to none go, I plan to be an alcoholic. Just... Begins with a drink and another 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 drink. Until I kind of need this. You see Judas here? And if you know the rest of the story from Judas, and not only kept him longer than he wanted to stay, ultimately what happened to Judas after he betrayed Jesus? He goes out, grabs a rope puts it around his neck, and jumps off a cliff with the rope 
to a tree. He hangs himself. It'll cost you more than you intended to pay. Now, this is, this is heavy stuff, I understand, right now. I don't, I don't apologize for that. I, I want us to understand that sin that starts small and seemingly innocent is never that. It will always grow. It will always keep you longer. It will always cost you more than you ever thought at the beginning. Is there a way out? Is there a way to break this process, folks? Is there? Oh, please, friends. There is a way. For every Christ follower here this morning, I want you to know that any point, wherever you are in the journey, whether you're in your beginning steps or you feel like you're in the final stages, there is always the invitation to the Scripture says to confess, to repent, and to turn. But the lie for those who are so much further than I ever intended. The lie is, I've tried to repent. There's no point anymore. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You see, if, if alcohol is ruling your life, or if lust is ruling your life, or as money is ruling your life, or as anger is ruling your life, It does not have to be that way because if you are a child of God, you are forgiven and you are set free from slavery to sin. You do not have to be a slave. You do not have to keep going down the path. The longer we go, the more it feels like there's no stopping. But that is a lie from the pit of hell, the power of the cross is, and the resurrection of Jesus to every person in here is a Christ follower, repent. This is why last week we spent the entire message simply saying when the word of God exposes something that is not like Jesus in us, don't put it off, don't bury it, just don't feel better about other stuff in your life, repent of it, because quote-unquote little sins of which there are no such thing, but as we see them, quote-unquote little sins left unrepented lead to patterns of sin left unrepented lead to a cost that you would never think would blow up your life. Serious stuff with a serious plea from me. You don't have to go there. You don't. The, the truth of the love of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God, the power of the cross of Jesus is that you can be set free, forgiven, and be given new life. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning. So this doesn't have to be our story. But it will be apart from a responsiveness of repentance to the Lord. Earlier, the better. In the midst of this, go back and look at verse 21. Because Jesus is saying, this is what's happening for Judas. Judas. 
But then he, then he goes to himself, verse 21. He says, for the son of man is to go just as it is written of him. In other words, he's going, this isn't about Judas now. This is about me. And he is recognizing something very powerful for all of us. He is recognizing that God's hand is in his heart. That he is going to be betrayed. But God is not absent in that heart. God's hand is actually in it. And so, and Jesus is referring to himself. Matt said it as we were worshiping here in South. You may have hard going on in your life right now. God is not absent. He's not absent in the present. He's not, he was not absent when it began. Personally, uh, I've believed this. But Jackie and I experiencing a hard right now. I needed to hear what uh, a good friend in Christ said to me a few weeks ago. God was not surprised when it first happened, what, the hard that we're experiencing now. God was not surprised then. He, he was in it then. He's in it now. I needed to hear that. Maybe you need to hear that this morning because you are so frustrated by the heart. See, it's easy for me to become an expert about what God is doing in your heart and forget that God is working in me in my heart. I can very quickly think, well, God needs to do this in this person's life and this in this person's life and forget, well, no, God is working in me in our own heart. If you don't believe that, and you may be struggling to believe that, if you don't believe what Jesus said about himself in that moment, then when you come to these passages in Scripture, like where it says in Philippians 4, rejoice always, you, you, just, you just can't do that. You'll never rejoice unless you believe God's hand has been in the heart. Or to give thanks, first that's five, to give thanks in everything, or to count it all joy, like James 1. See, uh, this is scripture. This is not power of positive thinking. This is scripture calling us to, uh, to express our faith that God's hand is in the heart, that we are a people who actually rejoice in the death of the perfect sinless son of God. No heart gets harder than that, but we rejoice in that, but somehow we're willing to rejoice in his heart, but not rejoice in our heart. To give thanks for his heart, but not to give thanks in our heart. You see, you ever see that in you? I see that in me, and so it's, Lord, I rejoice in your cross and rejoice in my heart, because I believe your hand is in it. I really want to encourage you, encourage you this morning. God is working, 
You, you declared it in song. I wonder if you, you re, did, you, did you say it or did you bail out on that song when, when you were singing, even in the deepest hurt, God is working for good. Or maybe you were just thinking about other people. Even in the deepest hurt, God is, no more wild alarms. See the wild, God, where are you? God is absent. Friends, I want to encourage you. You can rejoice. You can be thankful. I'm talking to myself right now. I can be thankful. I can count it joy because God is working. And he's not just working in other people. He's working in me. He's working. And Jesus said, this is happening as it's written. This is part of the plan of God. I count it joy. In the midst of this meal. He's predicted a betrayal. He's acknowledged God is in what is happening. And then he reveals the person of himself within the meal. Now, before I explain what I mean by that, let me give you some brief history. We said the Passover meal that they are taking was in celebration of remembering God, how God had delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. It didn't happen just like that. They had been in slavery 430 years. So that's a lot of generations. They have only, this generation has only known, only known slavery from their parents, grandparents, 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 grandparents. And then God raised up a man named Moses. And an 80-year-old Moses went back and said, to the greatest powerful man on the earth, Pharaoh, and said, you need to let the Israelites go. And he said, not happening. And God systematically, through 10 plagues, showed Pharaoh that he is the Lord, he is not the Lord. That Pharaoh was not as great as he thought he was. And systematically destroyed the wealth of Israel through plagues. But Pharaoh continued to resist until God said there will be one more plague and then it will be done. And it was the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn. God said throughout all of Egypt, every firstborn male of every household will die. Now, if you've been through nine plagues, I find it hard to imagine that you think, that can't happen. God said it was going to happen. And then he said to the Israelites, listen, he said, I will give you a way of escape. If you will take a spotless, unblemished lamb and you will sacrifice that lamb and take the blood of the lamb and paint it on the doorpost of your house. When I go throughout the land of Egypt for every firstborn to die, wherever I see the the blood, I will pass over. This is why it's called, I will pass over. And so in that house, there will only be rejoicing, where in every other house, there will be wailing from death. And it's exactly what happened. Just like we said earlier, just as God said it, it happened. The Israelites 
took the lamb, they painted the doorpost, and God passed over, and wherever there was not blood, the firstborn in every household died. And Pharaoh said, enough, get out. And they did. And God said, every year on this day, I want you to celebrate and remember that I set you free, and your firstborn did not die. The Passover lamb, the lamb died in its place. That's what they are remembering in this upper room. Jesus has just said, one of you is going to betray me. My heart is, just as it's written, it's in the hand of God. And then they share this meal. Now, how many of you have done a, a Passover meal? What's called a Seder meal? Okay, maybe half of you. Can't see north. So maybe half of us have done a Seder meal. My confession to you is the first time I did a Seder meal, I was incredibly confused for this reason. Because in Exodus 12, the Seder meal consisted of eating the unblemished lamb that had been sacrificed and the blood used, unleavened bread because it was to happen in haste, no time for the leaven, and bitter herbs. Those are the elements. But if you've taken a Seder meal currently like I have, there's lots more than this. In fact, a current Seder meal has an egg, green parsley, some chopped mixed fruit and nuts, and a cup of wine from which you drink four times. And and sometimes there's even more involved. And so when I did the Seder meal, I was like, hey, (laughs) I thought we were doing that. What's, What's all this stuff? And I go, no, we always do this. And and then I ask the question, so did Jesus do one through three or did Jesus do one through seven? Have you never wondered that if you've done a Seder meal? Uh, I'm still like, I don't know which. Well, I do know this. Did Jesus do one, two, three? Yeah, I know he did that because that's Exodus 12. Did he do four? I don't know. Five? I don't know. Six? I don't know. Seven? Yeah. Yeah. We know that because we're about to read. Watch. He says, while they were eating, he took some bread, which would have been the unleavened bread. And after blessing, he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, take this. This is my body. In other words, he inserts himself and says, the unleavened bread that we've been taking for hundreds of years was actually a shadow pointing to who I am, the unblemished Sacrifice. And when he had taken a cup, also in a contemporary Seder meal, you drink from the cup four times. There's the cup of sanctification, the cup of plagues, the cup of blessing uh, slash redemption, and fourth, the cup of praise. Didn't say anything in Exodus 12 about a cup. So this has been added Maybe Jesus did all that's been added. Maybe he just did some of what's been added. But we do know that there was a cup present in their Passover meal. And most think it's the third cup, the cup of redemption, where they would remember Exodus 6.6. And you promised you would redeem us, buy us back. Because he says, and when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it, all normal. And then he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Oh, we've never heard this before in the Passover feast. 
No, this is more than remembering God redeeming Israel. This is now a covenant which my blood will redeem all who will trust in me. See, do not miss this. When Jesus then says, uh, truly I say to you, I'll never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink new in the kingdom of God. He is saying that there was a time where Passover was about Israel being delivered from slavery in Egypt. But now I am introducing myself into that meal and introducing myself. It was just a shadow. One nation is now a reality for what's true about the whole world. That's not slaves in a country, but slaves to sin. And how a substitute, as the lamb died so that the firstborn did die, that I will die so that those who are under the condemnation of sin don't need to die. I am the meal because the meal is now for all who will trust in me. See, Jesus is the person in the meal now. He says, I am the unleavened bread and I am the cup of redemption. And I am the cup of redemption because I am the one who will redeem you. Unleavened bread, because leaven in the Old Testament is always referred, is always a symbol of sin. So he's saying, I am the one without sin who has redeemed you. Paul writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In other words, where there's reconciliation, it means there's parties that have been broken who are now being brought back together. And he's doing that by not counting their trespasses against them, their sins, their guilt against them. But folks, watch. God is just. He has to count their trespasses. And he is counting them. He's just not counting it against them. So what's he doing? Well, he continues in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So he counted their trespasses that were against me. He counted mine that would have been against me. He counted them, but he didn't count them against me. He counted them against Jesus who had no sin himself. See, if he had sin, he couldn't take mine because he'd have his own to pay for in order that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Folks, listen. The invitation that Jesus gives in this Passover meal is that salvation is not just for the Jewish person. It was a shadow to reveal something that I was going to do which would be much greater and global. A lamb was a shadow for something that would be much greater and global. Passover is a feast, a shadow 
to represent something that would be much greater and global. The greater and the global is the invitation that I can give to you this morning that Jesus would set you free from slavery to sin, just like he did the Israelites, except it's not through an animal. It's through a person who was without sin, who paid your penalty. You do not have to be a slave to sin. You do not have to pay the penalty for your sin. Jesus has paid it for those who will believe in him, who will trust in him. Have you trusted in Jesus? You see, it was given to all of, all of Israel, but every, in, don't miss this, every individual household had to do it for them. And every individual this morning must choose to either trust in Jesus and experience God's forgiveness or not and experience his condemnation. You can be saved through Jesus. He is your Passover lamb. That's the the power of what Jesus did during this meal. He blew it up. He blew up the shadow and he gave us the substance, the reality. So that he would be our sacrificial Passover lamb. So that now, as believers, even though we're not Jewish, we take part in that which Jesus did that night. We take bread because he says, I'm the bread. And we take a cup because he said, I am the cup. That's why we continue with those portions, because I am those things. And as our men come and pass elements for the bread and the cup, and you can put stuff away right now if that helps you to pass it. But I'm going to ask you very specifically, every single one of you, to consider what is your response right now. So put your stuff away, and then if you would, look back up here. Don't want you guys to start passing yet, if you would. Please just, just don't start passing yet, okay? Thanks. Before these elements are passed, I want to say a few things. First, I'm not saying that these elements save you. They represent the person who can, the only person who can, Jesus. So you don't, take, you don't take the elements to be saved. You take the elements to remember the person who has taken your punishment, okay? If you have never trusted in Jesus as your sin bearer, the one who saves you, who can rescue you from slavery to sin. You can do that right now, this morning. Just there in your seat, you can say, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner, but I believe that you've taken the penalty for me. I receive the gift. If you haven't done that, man, I hope you would this morning. If you have, as you take the elements and remember Jesus, 
I want to ask you. In any way, have you put question marks where he put periods? Did you, did you hear the Lord, the Spirit prompting you this morning? You need to serve, you need to give, you need to make disciples. Then before you take the elements, say, Lord, I, I repent of what I've done that. I will begin. Or maybe there's been a sin pattern that has been continued on in your life. And it's leading down a path that you can't bear to imagine. Would you confess that sin right now before you take the elements and say, Jesus, you set me free from slavery to sin. I repent. Make me clean. Or maybe you're in a heart that before you take the elements that represent the death, the suffering of Jesus, you would say, for me to rejoice in this, Jesus, I will first rejoice in my heart. I'll count it joy. All right, guys, pass. And you respond to the Lord as he has prompted you in any of those areas. Go ahead and pass.
grace unmeasured, love untold. The unfolding plan of God is that Jesus would become the price paid for our redemption, what Matt just declared, so that many sons would come to believe. And so the elements that we hold are the reminder that Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He paid the penalty. Our trespasses counted against him so that we would no longer be enemies of God, but children of God. And by faith, we are identified with him in death for the forgiveness of sins and in resurrection so that we might walk in newness of life. The joy of our salvation, as we remember this, is that around the world there will be wailing because of condemnation. But in our household, there'll be praise because of salvation. Which you take with grateful hearts. Let's stand together. Join with Matt as we declare the hope that we have in a crucified and risen Savior. Come behold the wondrous mystery Slain by death the God of life But no grave could e'er restrain him Praise the Lord, he is alive What a foretaste of deliverance How unwavering our hope Christ empowered So it's, it's always been a foretaste of deliverance. The Passover lamb was a foretaste of deliverance. The death of Christ, a foretaste of deliverance. Forgiven, but still living in these bodies. The resurrection of Christ, a foretaste of deliverance to walk in newness of life. And when he comes, a foretaste of that which when we will receive new bodies to live forever with the Lord in a new heaven, and a new earth. It's been God's unfolding plan. And Jesus said, the meal changes now. It's not a lamb, it's me. It's not Israel, it's all who will trust in me. Rejoice in the Lord. He is your Savior. If we can pray with you in, in any way, I just want to remind you, we always have prayer available. 
If you are a guest, we'd love to greet you over here at the table. God bless. Go in his joy.